Hello and welcome to The Control and the Variable. My name is Sonia and I'm Sarah and together we are two postgraduate research students who have started a podcast to try and make research not only more fun but also more accessible to science people and non-science people. And hopefully we can share some funny stories along the way and some tips and tricks and we hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, let's get started with today's episode. Okay, so today's episode is on the coronavirus, which now has a name. It is COVID-19, C-O-V-I-D-19. Yes. Let's talk about what it is, because, yeah. you know, this is the, the decade of social media and whatnot, and you can hear all kinds of information. It's, so Yeah, it's so easy to spread misinformation. So, so we're not going to say that this podcast <laughs> is 100%. <laughs> completely you know correct obviously over the next few weeks maybe even the next few days and hours more information might come out that we might not mention today but we hope to just give you guys a general kind of understanding of the virus and uh, what you guys can do at home to keep yourself safe so what is the coronavirus well a coronavirus is a family of virus it's not a single uh, virus they usually come from animals but they can be passed on to humans as well. And this family of viruses have already caused diseases that we've already seen, such as SARS, which was in the 2000s, I believe. Uh, the 2003, I think? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so middle... when we were too young to care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know about any of that. And Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome and the Common Cold. So the death rate, according to the World Health Organization, at the moment is roughly about 2%. So people really don't need to be worried about dying of coronavirus, even if you were to get it, if you're unfortunate enough to get it. It's only going to be 2% of people who don't survive it, and those are usually people who are very ill already. or Mm -hmm. Compromised immune system. Compromised, so old, young and seriously ill people, they're most likely. For sure. Um, I just found a bit of information over here and it says um, that SARS spread to 37 countries uh, causing global panic and infecting more than 8,000 people and killing more than 750. So quick maths, the percentage is, what is that, almost 10%? More. Yeah. Yeah, almost 10%. Because I didn't realise it was only 8,000 people because the this coronavirus so far has in... There are 80,000 confirmed cases. Oh, my gosh. And around about 3,000 people have died. So it's already much bigger than SARS, actually. Okay. But a lot less deadly. Okay. Well, so far. Hopefully yes. that statistic remains. Yes. So it's spread to a lot of countries now, as of today. It's mm-hmm. in northern Italy, has um, gone into sort of a lockdown. Iran as well, yes. have a few cases. Did you hear that story about the Iranian health secretary? No. He kept on telling everybody, it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal, everybody calm down, it's, you know, chill out, it's not a thing. Um, and he, he would say that during his, like, not his podcast, but his, like... Um, <laughs> broadcast. Broadcast, that's the word. Um, and then I think the next day after, like, he told everyone to chill out, he came out and said, I have. 
coronavirus. Oh, sweet irony. <laughs> so I know. So that's really quite tragic. Um, but also, I hope people don't listen to his previous work <laughs> and decide to take this uh, this virus quite seriously. Yes. Because uh, the symptoms of the coronavirus are things like pneumonia. So people who have fallen ill, uh, they tend to it starts off as a cough, and then they have uh, fever. Uh, difficulty in breathing. Uh, in severe cases, apparently, there can be organ failure. But I have a feeling that the information I've got here is just for coronaviruses in general. Um, so there's that, really. Um, and just a quick thing to everybody listening. It is a virus, therefore antibiotics will not help you. <laughs> but there are antiviral drugs against the flu um, and things like that. But they also will not work because... It's a different strain. It's a different strain, absolutely. Um, and then obviously when you have it, your recovery is uh, entirely kind of dependent upon your own immune system. If you are hopefully strong enough uh, to fight it, you will be able to. Um, and as Sarah already said, you know, many people who have died already um, are generally the weaker um, population, unfortunately. So um, a lot of my information I've gotten from a really nice article by The Guardian, and I'll put that in our description box if you guys want to have a read of that too. Um, I also got some information from The New Scientist magazine, so I think they're my two favourite reads for like generic, broad information. You can uh, share the virus from person to person, which is actually very scary because I don't want to spread fear, but <laughs> a colleague of mine... Um, went to church on the weekend and she sat next to a lady who had come back from Taiwan through Hong Kong um, and she came to London and apparently her work had told her to self-quarantine and to not come in. Lovely. Right, to work. Um, this is the lady who travelled from, who was in church, who sat next to my colleague. Um, which is going to the point of she did not think quarantine included not going to church i am so confused by some people if you were told to self-quarantine and stay away from other people why does why do people think that they can still go to church on a sunday yeah. that makes zero sense if you've been told to self-quarantine do not leave your house it's maybe, very simple yeah maybe she just thinks it's an excuse not to go to work <laughs> self-quarantine i mean apparently she works with children so okay. that's why they told her not to. But then also she does voluntary work in the church looking after children. And I have a feeling maybe she did that on the way. I don't know. Either way, we know who we're going to have issues yes. with should anyone near us get. And also, while we're talking about transferring virus human to human, <laughs> please remember to cover your mouth when you sneeze. That's, I have that listed down later, but let's talk about it now. People who cough into your hands, stop it. Just stop it. Yes. You cough into the inner elbow. And wash your hands. And just obviously. wash your hands. That's... And all that general stuff that should be obvious. Yeah. But you know. Just don't be gross. I read a paper today um, online that said French people, and I don't want to single out French people. I'm sure they're not the only ones, but something like only two out of five. No, I don't want to actually say it. We're giving you the wrong information. Yeah, I was going to say, we're not going to start a hate campaign or a smear campaign against French people. But what it was, was it like, vaguely about, though? It was a shockingly low amount of people washed their hands after using the bathroom. What? Yeah. Ugh. 
<laughs> oh, you know, these things make me feel sick because it's like that's the amount of people who admit to not washing their hands. Oh yeah, there'll be more. There's gonna definitely. be more people who are like, oh no, I wa- I wash my hands. You don't <laughs> wash your hands. <laughs> I can't stress that enough. Oh, that's disgusting. Um, so why is this coronavirus COVID nineteen maybe not worse but more scary for us normal civilians? And the reason for that is because we just, we don't know enough about it yet. Um, scientists are working day and night, I assume, to try and find out what's going on, uh, what the contagiousness of the virus is, and also finding a vaccine um, and things like that. It's mostly scary because we don't know anything about it nor how to treat it. Yeah, it's only been two months, really, since the first few cases yeah, came out. Even. And it spread to about 80,000 people, but that might be a lot lower if we had known about it and how to prevent the spread and people were probably passing on the disease before they had symptoms. That's a good point actually. I was reading an article and it was on the New Scientist. Again, I'll leave a link to that article. But the statistic of the 80,000 people who have been diagnosed with it is only based on whether they show symptoms or not. It has not taken into consideration who is carrying the virus okay. because of course you can carry a virus without showing any symptoms yeah or for healthier individuals it would just feel like a normal cold so you'd have no way of distinguishing whether it was coronavirus or yeah. the cold yeah there's which, no distinct kind of characteristic yeah. of the symptoms unless you you know sent a test off yes. to the lab and they analyzed it which yeah. you can't really do for everyone with a cold no you can't Okay, is the outbreak a pandemic? What is a pandemic? So um, a pandemic is defined by Google um, as a disease uh, prevalent across a whole country or the world. And um, it's considered the worldwide spread of a new disease. Um, So it usually happens when the virus emerges and then spreads around the world. And uh, it's also a thing where most people do not have immunity. Yeah, this doesn't include an index case, which is defined as the spreading of a disease or infection by people traveling from country to country, but more of like a second or like secondary or tertiary wave of infection. So similar to what's happening in uh, Italy at the moment. Yeah. That's the secondary wave of it. From one person. Yeah, because everybody who's got it in Italy haven't just come back from China. It's spread there and then secondary spread to more people. Should we be scared? Are you scared, Sarah? Not particularly. Not particularly. Yeah, that's that's quite good. Uh, We're (laughs) drinking loads and loads of orange juice. Uh, We're much luckier than other countries because we have a strong water sanitation. Well, we say that. Now we find out that people don't even wash their hands after they go to the bathroom. I'm not sure. Because... uh, Obviously, you can decrease your chances of getting viruses by just, like, decreasing the chances of faecal-oral transmission, which basically means... I don't know how to say this in nice words, and I don't know whether we're, like... (laughs) Are we going to be one of those explicit podcasts? But, like, (laughs) shit-to-mouth transmission. Either way, wash your hands off to go to the toilet. Yeah, it happens. It does, it does. That's how so many things happen. Um, Also, in, like, the poorer countries where they've not yet developed a good kind of sanitation system um and there's feces and stuff in drinking water you have a pretty high chance of getting viruses and things like that and just general health care and you know we're Mm -hmm. healthy 
yes, of course, just being healthy is, is a blessing. I decided to have a quick look online um, at a lot of like the most popular newspapers just to kind of see what kind of vibes we're getting from each of them. And to be honest, I was really quite surprised that even horrible newspapers like the Daily Mail, cough, cough, um, <laughs> cough, cough, uh, which is ironic, cough, cough. Yes, um, into the elbow, guys. Yeah, cough, 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 cough into coughing. the elbow. <laughs> um, it all seems to be relatively positive, like... A lot of the titles of the articles are questions where the articles then answer the question, uh, which is fab. Um, And I think some titles which I wrote down are like, why won't the WHO, which is the World Health Organization, officially declare a coronavirus pandemic? And then they explain that in a lot of good detail. That's not from the Daily Mail, obviously. Uh, One from the Daily Mail was health officials refused to rule out shutting down entire towns, which when you then read it, it's it's not that bad an article. You think it's a bad one, but it's not that bad. So that's good because I think the media definitely have a role to play in the um, generic kind of public understanding of diseases. Yeah, they have the ability to make people panic if they wanted to. And I think in the beginning, probably they were doing that more than they are now. I think now they're trying to calm people down Yes. rather than sell clickbaity headlines and make people panic. Yeah, so well done, newspapers. Thank you. Congratulations. Yay. (laughs) Things that we can do to reduce our own risks um, is just keeping away from obviously the quarantine issue that we've spoken before. Apparently six foot distance is a good enough distance to save yourself um, from somebody else. Yeah, six foot difference. That's probably the distance that you wouldn't know. A bit further. A bit further away from (laughs) how we're sitting here, which obviously the listeners don't even know. Um, Face masks are okay as well, um, as they block liquid droplet infection, um, but not aerosol particles. So obviously liquid droplet infection is things like you know the phlegm yeah cough and stuff but um aerosol is just kind of things that are in the air but they're not wet and also you have to change them regularly yes absolutely Mm -hmm. you can't just wear the same one for the whole day no absolutely and also the eyes are still exposed and apparently you can you can get it through the eyes apparently well not coronavirus definitely okay i'm not sure this was just a generic kind of Uh, viruses kind of thing Um, seek medical help if you feel like you need it Um, and just generally actually we should also make quite clear don't be mean to Asian students who are wearing face masks because it's part of the culture to my understanding um, to wear the face masks not to contain their own germs but to protect themselves yeah. So yeah, in in countries like China where you're so so close to each other Mm -hmm. It's a very smart thing to do, actually. It's Definitely. maybe, it's maybe not as necessary in somewhere like the UK where there's not as many people, mm-hmm. or maybe where we are, where we're kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, Egham's is quite dead, so there's <laughs> not a lot of people. But certainly in London, I think it's a good idea. Oh yeah, uh, like the tube touching the Absolutely. rails. Oh god. Oh gosh. After you told me that statistic about people not. Washing their hands. I feel so uncomfortable. And I'm pretty sure I got glandular fever from going on the tube. I went to London one day. Okay, let's not go spreading false claims <laughs> here. We're not sure how Sarah got glandular fever. I got it from somewhere. 
Oh yeah, but please guys, uh, hold yourselves back from the anti-Asian race hate movements. Um, I've seen a lot of things online that are just really rude. Yeah. Um, so just stop it and get a life. And another point that I want to make on that is, you know, we're not perfect when it comes to treating animals. Like, you might find it weird that they eat bats and because it's not part of our culture, but in our culture, people still hunt foxes and coal badgers. Mm. And in Spain, they rub chili in bullseyes and then stab them with swords and call it a sport. So, you know, we're not perfect either, so... Yeah, I think, yeah, we should be careful about judging other people's cultures, just generally. Yeah. Um, Don't see coronavirus as as an excuse to be rude rude to other cultures. Absolutely. Now, the next bit is about um, an article that I read, and it was titled, Will Coronavirus Trigger a Global Recession? Now, we're not economists. We know this, for sure. But, um... And I want to say there's money in science, and maybe our listeners will have a bit of money, might have a bit of investment, so I'm not sure. Um, But unlike other coronaviruses like SARS, um, there is expected to be more damage to the financial world uh, due to an increased economic vulnerability of China. If you understand what that means, please email email us. Um, So the quarantine of workers over the country has created the lowest growth rate in China since 1990. So when we were minus eight years old, there was a a low growth rate in China. um, And it's now gone as low as that because of the quarantine. I mean, they've been growing, you know, pretty strongly year on year. So Mm. I don't think they'll ever be in a recession again, to be honest. Well, I... Let's cut that bit out. (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about. We know nothing about (laughs) Um, there's there's also a bit more information in that article, um, but it was quite hard to understand. Not only because I'm uneducated in that in that sector, um, but um, I was also rewatching Ugly Betty whilst doing the research, so I'm not sure. Um, something uh, there was something about how China is actually the first step of manufacturing um, in many kind of industries, and therefore a lot of European trade might experience some economic consequences as a result of a holdup on their side. Um, over in the US, however, no one really seems to care too much about the business side of stuff. So that's fun. But yeah, like I said, there's a lot of hate in America at the moment with Asians. So please be nice to them. Us. Okay, and now we're going to move on to our mini biography section of the podcast. And today we've chosen a scientist who I think we can agree unanimously between the two of us is one of the biggest feminist science icons um that we have and that is putting the bongos <laughs> rosalind franklin yay so sarah tell me all about this lady well i mean i think most people know her for her work on dna yes but just briefly she went to Cambridge. She's from a well-educated and affluent family in London. She went to Cambridge, she did her PhD, and this was during World War II, so her PhD was on the properties of coal to, you know, help win the war, I suppose. Fab. Um, But yeah, she's best known for her work on DNA. She was a radio crystallographer? X-ray crystallographer. (laughs) 
<laughs> X-ray crystallography. That's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. But she was also a chemist as well. That was chemist. her. Yeah, I think that was her um, main kind of focus. And then okay. she got into X-ray X-ray diffraction studies um, later on, so like post nineteen fifty one. Cool. So that was fab. She was also born. We should we probably said this at the beginning. She was born in July nineteen twenty, and um, we'll talk about her death later on. Yeah. So she's well known for her famous photo, photograph fifty one, which is essentially a piece of evidence. One of the first pieces of evidence. Actually, no, the first piece of evidence. Yes, the first piece of evidence. That showed DNA is a helical structure. Up until then, we did not know what DNA looked like. Lots of people had theories, but no physical evidence to back it up. And this picture is very famous. It's like a black and white, almost like an abstract picture, which is an X-ray diffraction of DNA. And I don't know, like, all the technical sides but it proves that DNA is helical yes. and I'll believe that because it was <laughs> published in nature. <laughs> Ew, fab. Um, and it was thanks to this photo that led uh, to James Watson and Francis Crick to uh, develop, discover the DNA double helix. Yes, so it supported their hypotheses. And these two papers were published in the same... Paper. It was the same... Uh, edition. Edition! The same edition. <laughs> I would have edited this out, but we've been spending about five minutes trying to remember the word edition. Yes. So, yeah. Edition! <laughs> <laughs> so, Rosalind Franklin published her work that showed DNA's helical, which was a picture of an X-ray diffraction of DNA. And in the same edition, Watson and Crick showed their... A hypothesis of the DNA structure and essentially Rosalind Franklin's work supported this but obviously the controversy comes from the fact that Watson and Crick won the Nobel Prize and they saw her work without her permission beforehand yes which greatly helped them of absolutely course. do you remember I think it was our first year of undergrad and we had a lecture where they yes. showed us a video and it was like a reenactment of the discovery of DNA. And um, it was from then that we knew that Rosalind had been done dirty. Exactly. And the others. It's quite <laughs> sad. So after all of this, she faced growing sexism while she was at King's College doing research from her colleagues. She was called the Dark Lady or something. I think she had like nicknames and she yeah. was mocked and all this. So eventually she moved to Bur Burbeck College. Burbeck College, yes. Burbeck. Yes. It's now like an after hours lecture, a uh, university, which cool. is quite cool. And that's where she focused on RNA rather than DNA. And her work on that was fundamental to our understanding of viruses yes. and DNA. Yeah, which was fab. And there have been multiple campaigns since her death to give her a post posthumous, I don't think that's how you pronounce it, um, Nobel Prize um, in the hope that they'd give it to her, you know, after her death. But um, the Nobel Prize Committee have decided that they do not award 
uh, Nobel Prizes after death. Retrospectively. So, <laughs> retrospectively, yeah. <laughs> they don't care unless, you, unless it's amazing when you're alive um, and there's equality, then you're not going to get one, which is quite sad. Yeah. But she is today still one of the most famous female scientists. Um, you know, most people can only name a handful or a couple and she's always one of them. I mean, unfortunately, people can only name a handful of female scientists. Yes. But she did great work and she contributed a lot. Yes. And uh, I read that she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Ovarian cancer, bronchopneumonia, and secondary carcinomatosis, which is when multiple carcinomas develop simultaneously, usually after dissemination from a primary source. So metastasis, basically. So she had bronchopneumonia, secondary carcinomatosis, and also ovarian cancer. That led to her death in April 1958. Yeah, but her work ethic was incredible because... In the last two years of her life, she still published so many papers. You know, like six one year and seven the next year. Wow! While going doing chemotherapy and everything. That's amazing because I'm not sure about you, Sarah, but I would not be doing <laughs> I have that. zero papers in zero <laughs> in how many years it's been. One thing that I think in modern day science we can really appreciate about Rosalind Franklin is the amount of memes. That can arise because of her. I particularly enjoy the one where there's the guy and his girlfriend and the guy's kind of turning his face and looking at the other girl walking past. And it's um, the guy's the Nobel uh, people, the committee. Um, And then Rosalind Franklin's the one, the girlfriend next to him, like, what are you doing? (laughs) And then uh, the guy, the girl that the guy's looking at is um, Watson and Crick. So that's my personal favourite meme. <laughs> There's also lots of good um, coronavirus memes going around. You know, the non-mean racist ones. Yeah, I was going to say, you've got to be careful about those. Um, but yeah, so again, that's another thing. If you guys would like to share some funny memes with us, our Instagram is control and variable. Okay, so now it's time for our funny stories. Favourite part of the podcast. Yes. So I got a good one. It actually happened yesterday. It happened yesterday. Oh, so nice recent story. (laughs) Yes, and it's quite a shocker if I do say so myself. (laughs) So I was having a bad day in the lab, you know, like just made a few silly mistakes. It could have cost me, but I think I'm all right. (laughs) <laughs> fingers crossed yes fingers no. crossed it's um, so common to have like one small little mistake in the day and it just ruins everything, everything that you plan to do <laughs> yeah. top tip don't plan too much yes so I also had to, well I chose to volunteer for rare disease day at my uni where we host hundreds of school kids at a level and I was doing the demonstrations and they were just doing like a basic experiment to show how X-linked recessive diseases are inherited. Example of an X-linked uh, inherited disease is? Haemophilia! Oh, haemophilia, of course. <laughs> uh, Duchenne mus- muscular dystrophy. Muscular dystrophy, I should have yeah, known that one. <laughs> There we go, that's that. <laughs> so there you go, there's some excellent recessive diseases. Yeah. And because of that, it's a lot more common in 
males yes. than it is females because they only have one X chromosome. So in this practical, we had four test tubes of all the possible combinations, you know, just the standard... Um, standard Mendelian, pipetting, right? Yeah, yeah, pipetting and like a Mendelian inheritance of the disease. And they change colour if they're affected. So one was a pH indicator, one was a weak acid, one was a weak base. Nothing toxic because, of course, these are school children. Yes. And keeping it simple. So they put on their gloves, they wear their lab coats and goggles like we instruct them to. And we were just letting them get on because it's quite simple. We're there if they need any help or have any questions. Towards the end, most people were finished, so they were just talking, having a chat. And I saw this girl, and she was talking about saying someone had a tattoo on the inside of their lip, like, you know, people do. But what she did horrified me. Horrified? Oh, my God. My (laughs) jaw just dropped to the floor because it just goes against every good practice (laughs) that I've learned in my four years What I love about this story is as soon as it happened, like, you came and told me, you're like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard, (laughs) I've ever seen. I was like, what? So, with her gloves on, she decided to put her hands in her mouth to show, you know, that the tattoo was on the inside of the lip. Because words aren't description enough. No, exactly. And, you know, she could have taken the gloves off, but she thought, no, I'm going to leave them on, you know. It's fine. So, I mean, I can only hope that there was nothing on her gloves <laughs> because I don't know what happens when, you know, those things go on the inside of your mouth, but I hope she doesn't get ulcers or anything oh, Yeah, else. absolutely. But also, it should be made quite clear that they were given a safety talk before they did the Yeah, work. I mean, so, it's general... Just so that nobody can sue the uni and then we're to blame. So, <laughs> we are not responsible for any of that. Thank you. Yes, that is down to your own... Common sense. Yeah, common sense. Common sense. The gloves are there to protect your skin, so why would you put them in your mouth? <laughs> oh no. That reminds me of a similar story. Um, it was actually during our first year of our undergrad um, course. And uh, I don't even remember what we were doing, but we had to set up water baths. And it was um, it was a lab where... Oh, it was one of the biochemistry uh, modules. Yeah. And uh, we had to create a water bath, put our test tubes in the water bath, and then just kind of leave it for a bit. And this one girl who was next to, next to me and my friend, who we were lab partners, and um, we saw her, and she smashed her test tube. And so the test tube smashed in the in the water bath and instead of you I don't really understand what went through her brain at the time but she just took her bare hand her bare hand no glove oh no 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 it was a glove oh, yeah, okay. yeah. but gloves. not much pr- no protection. gloves don't protect you from heat they protect you from like water at the yes. moment <laughs> so her hand didn't get wet okay she put her hand into the boiling water bath to pick up the broken glass inside the... I don't understand where this logic was. I don't understand. The health and safety violations. (laughs) Like, so many at one go. Oh, it was so bad. She put her hand in the water, she picked up the glass, and then she was like, oh my god, that's hot. Like, 
that wasn't blatantly obvious because it was boiling water. It wasn't just like yeah, it it wasn't just like a forty degrees water bath, which actually feels quite nice. Um, it was a full like <laughs> maybe eighty ninety degrees water bath. She put her hand in it and then she pulled it out and then she took her glove off. And it was a bright red hand. Her hand was bright red. And I don't know why she thought this was a good idea, but she essentially just paraded her hand around the lab waiting for um, the doctor who was teaching us everything. Rather than run your hand on Rather the Rather exactly. And he just looked at her like, what is going on? He was like, well, put it in the water then. Put it in the cold water. And um, it, it just seemed... And that information seemed new to her, to be honest. <laughs> it's just, it's so weird. When you come to university, even though you think you're doing a relatively intelligent course, you'll still meet the funniest kind of yeah. lack of common sense people. <laughs> I think and maybe we fall under that category in yeah, our own ways. Definitely. So. I'm not saying I'm better than anyone. Absolutely. I am, you know, I made mistakes in the lab that day when I saw that girl, but it made me feel better. Better, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Made me feel better about myself. <laughs> that at least I wouldn't do that. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Remember, you can listen to us on Spotify, Radio Public, and Breaker. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram. We are Control and Variable. You can also follow us on our own personal Twitters of Sonia underscore Shinma and Sarah Muscat with a three on the end. Because Sarah Muscat one and two were taken. Yes. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please leave a review. And we hope you enjoyed it. You'll hear us again next time. <laughs> Bye.